to episode 161 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 17th of January, 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Good evening. And Will. Hello. So let's start with our discoveries, finds of the fortnight discoveries. Discoveries. So, uh, Graham, Hi-Fi Berry OS. Yeah, so it's not quite a Linux distribution, but you install it on a Raspberry Pi, and it's basically like an audio file audio system. So when it's installed on a Raspberry Pi, it then becomes like a destination for Spotify or for Rune or for Snapcast and Logitech Media Server, which is what I use as well. Also a DLNA destination. And it's got a beautiful web UI to be able to manage all of this. You can add Samba shares for you know external network storage with your music collection on. And it works remarkably well. The downside to this is it's it's all open source, obviously. The downside is it only works with some specific hardware. It doesn't work, for example, with a generic USB digital audio interface. It'll work with the Raspberry Pi audio, but really you need a Pi hat, and it'll only work with very specific Pi hats. And presumably it refuses to boot unless you're using gold-plated cables. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the great thing about the supported hardware, and I've I've actually got one from Albangan Olufsen. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, and all it is is that... It's a hat. Well, it's I think it's quite expensive, but it's it's like one hundred and forty pounds, one hundred and fifty pounds. Oh Jesus! <laughs> but it's got an amplifier in it, and it's a four speaker amplifier. So I use this with four ordinary speakers in the kitchen with a little Raspberry Pi. So you can listen to Pink Floyd in quadraphonic. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've done it for a couple of years, and it works absolutely brilliantly. It's kind of faultless. The cool DSP stuff that it can do is, and this perhaps is a little audiophile geeky, is that you can change the delay settings for the speakers. It can even record the room acoustics and do the automatic EQ and compensation for that. There's a really nice EQ settings you can use and apply to different things. You can't believe this is kind of open source because it works so well. And it's a really good kind of competitor to Sonos, I think, an open source competitor to Sonos. And I really like it. And it's a project that you don't hear very often, I think, because it requires this specific kind of set of hats. But it's great. I know this is very un-hi-fi, but does it allow you to pair it as a Bluetooth speaker? Get out of here, you crap. <laughs> you can send music to it as a Bluetooth destination as a speaker, yes. You can't send from Hi-Fi Berry OS to a Bluetooth speaker. I, I like to listen to uh, radio when I'm having a shower and I've got a crappy battery-powered speaker and I've been looking for something a bit more um, like heavy-duty, put some speakers in the ceiling and all I could find were really sort of crappy, cheap electronics-powered speakers with um, with a with a Bluetooth receiver in it and it wasn't quite good enough. So maybe this this is what I need, a, a Raspberry Pi and, um, and Hi-Fi Berry OS. And a 150-pound waterproof. Yeah. Double wear box. That has got the four amplifiers in it and it has got the DSP on it. You don't have to have all that. But also it's built on build root. So it's kind of a kind of read-only OS that updates itself. And when you want to rebuild, if you want to rebuild it yourself locally, then you can do, but you kind of run through the build root scripts and then you get the image that you put on the SD card. It's not like a normal Linux distro, but you can SSH to it. And you can, in fact, think it's even got Docker on it. So if you need to run your own services that you're interested in, you can install it via Docker and run it on that because the rest of it is all kind of read-only. And it's just been faultless. And when you go to the website, the first thing you see is a picture of David Bowie. So (laughs) they must be pretty cool. 
what do I do with my old 78s? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my discovery is that CFAX lives. So there's a website, nathanmediaservices.co.uk slash teletext-viewer, which gives you CFAX. And that's all I thought it was at first. CFAX and teletext for the international audience. It was kind of like the internet before the internet. <laughs> I don't know how to describe this. It's like text on your TV. You pressed a button to get into teletext mode, and then you had to put in the page number, and then news and sport and entertainment and games even. Mm. It was cool as fuck, basically. It was. But then, inevitably, it got shut down over the years. Well, it lives on either just as a quick demo on the website and there's a remote control that you can click the numbers on and you can go to 101 for the news or whatever. There's a nice Easter egg on the um, subtitles page. I heard that. You heard me click 888. Uh, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it was. <laughs> yeah, and it gives you all the, uh, yeah, about the Facebook group and stuff. But if you dig deeper into this website, you can see that this guy's like really obsessed with electronics and getting Teletext working. And there's a Raspberry Pi image that you can plug into an actual old school TV and get Teletext up. It's a proper Teletext service. It's not just emulated on the internet. It's amazing. Very cool. Yeah, good for a bit of nostalgia or history if you're young and <laughs> never saw Teletext. Phelan, you destroyed your phone and discovered <laughs> what normal, real Android is like. Yeah. So I told the story of my audio jack plug that keeps popping out and it's really annoying. I said, I'll buy one and fix it. And it's five quid. And then I went online and it said, it can be delivered from China and it'll be there in two months. But there's two versions. And I was like, ah, you bastard. Right. I'll open the thing up because I got a toolkit at Christmas. I said, I'll pop the thing open. Should be easy. Don't need to make a backup because I mean, I'm just I'm opening it up. I'm not doing anything destructive. Uh, find out which version I need, and uh, yeah. So promptly discovered that the lamination between the screen and the sort of middle carriage of my phone was separating somewhere. So when I went to prise it apart, that started peeling at the wrong point, and I was busily going around the edge, going, "God, this is awful hard." It looked so much easier in that guy's video. And then I prized the whole screen off the front of the phone <laughs> oh. and snapped the wires underneath, <laughs> and then the glass just shattered across, and I was like. You bastard. And, uh, <laughs> surprisingly enough, all the navigation button buttons down the bottom didn't work anymore. The screen had cracked halfway across the top. The whole bottom half was doing like rainbow, uh, rainbow road on the snares. And uh, the top part had the clock that I could vaguely tap at and then didn't work. And then, then it just went totally snow crash. It was just unreal. So... Yeah, I was uh, I was a tad annoyed by this, and uh, I had no phone then for you know work or any of those things. Luckily, I did this on the last day of Christmas holidays, so I had the panic-inducing "What the fuck am I going to do now?" Uh, and luckily, we had a, an old S7 line about the house, so got that and booted up and tried you know disabling all the play services and all that stuff. And oh my god, the amount of shite on modern phones the applications you can't get rid of the network operator three was telling me that i needed to use their cloud service for this thing i was like just fuck off <laughs> then android was then telling me of all the backups i needed to start running and then play services telling me that i need to log in and all this sort of stuff and my god it is utter shite and i got my phone fixed as fast as i could it took about a week to get the cables because they had the screen but 
I had to get the buttons down the bottom that I'd severed when I pulled the other thing off. And uh, yeah, and no, I got it fixed in the shop. So I'm now going to spend, I've kind of got a reduced sort of painful version on the S7 enough that I can survive the week with it and uh, F-Droid and a few applications. So it's fine. It's just about enough bearable. But um, I'm going to now blank my phone and put two generations of Android OS higher on it, which I should have done ages ago anyway, but now I have the excuse. So it's made you really appreciate Lineage even more than you did. My God, it is so good. I don't know how anybody goes through that crap. Man, maybe if you're able to just go, la, 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 I don't care, and just click, yeah, yeah, oh, I absolutely want all those backup things. But the amount of shite that runs, it's unreal. Like, it's literally unreal. It's pretty funny that you called a, a Samsung Galaxy S7 a modern phone. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's fine. It, hey, I'll tell you this much. When I set a phone up to the way I want it to, any phone is running really snappy in comparison to all that shite on top of it. I, I mean, I still hate the Samsung Touch Wiz or whatever the hell it's called. It is absolutely awful. But um, I'll get there. I'm going to sp- take my time, get it all done properly the way I want to, and then I'll have it all more up to date than I want it to. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late-night-linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late-night-linux. All right, well, yours is Nimble ESP32. What the hell is this? Well, I'm glad you asked. So there's a project called Apache Minute, M-Y-N-E-W-T, and that is uh, an operating system for microcontrollers, so along the same sort of lines as Arduino, but this is an Apache version. And uh, it runs on sort of, yeah, all ARM-based microcontrollers. And part of this stack is a Bluetooth Low Energy and Bluetooth 5 stack called nimble and it's very small very compact uh, and also very good so i was looking to build a project on an esp32 that needed to talk to some bluetooth low energy controlled lights and by the time i put all of the over the air updates and some logging stuff in there and some other bits and pieces i then added the stock arduino bluetooth library and it made my code so big that i couldn't flash it onto the chip anymore so i went looking for a replacement bluetooth stack and came across nimble and specifically a port to the esp32 the developer called h20 has been super supportive um he's answered questions that i've had just you know support questions really um i've got a lot of help from him the project is bang up to date it's really active the api is really nice it's quite well documented it's tiny and it worked really, really well. So if you're looking for a Bluetooth stack on an ESP32, I would highly recommend ditching the stock one and using Nimble instead. No doubt you donated uh, loads of money to him for all that help. I did, actually. I bunged him a tenner. Ah, good on you. What do you use it for? 
I'm using it to control some super cheap LED strips that I bought off Amazon for about a fiver. Rather than spend the 15 quid on the Wi-Fi controlled ones, I bought the five quid Bluetooth LE ones. They came with a, a shitty app that you can get from the various app stores, uh, and I was not interested in using their shitty app, so I thought I'd build my own. Good. So, yeah, so I built it on a, an ESP32, and now it's all hooked up to MQTT, and I can control my lights as I wish. And how much, how much is one of those units? An ESP32 dev board will probably set you back about a fiver off eBay. Wow, that's cool. So it was ultimately more expensive than buying the proper thing, but you've got more control over it. Yes, we don't talk about that. That's not why we do these things. No, no, you do it to have control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, I've got one bonus discovery, and that is that the BBC iPlayer probably runs on 32-bit Linux in the back end because some of the shows that are available long-term are set to mysteriously disappear on Monday the 18th of January 2038. Hmm, whatever could be the cause of that. (laughs) And so, yeah, probably there's some 32-bit software involved, possibly a Linux kernel, maybe somewhere else in the stack. There's some 32-bit code that is giving them the uh, 2038 bug. But also what I discovered as part of this is that the 2038 bug is now closer to now than the Millennium bug is to now. Fuck off. Oh, my word. (laughs) Well, yes, 22 years ago versus, what, 16 years? Oh, my word. No, it isn't. I choose not to believe that. Yeah. I very clearly remember thinking, ah, that's ages away, and now suddenly it isn't. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God, all those scripts I've still got in production. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, customary reminder that the Millennium bug was not nothing, it turned out to be nothing because people worked very hard to prevent something happening. And that will inevitably happen again, but probably at the last minute. On to a bit of admin then. And thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support to learn more. And if you want to get in contact, show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do some feedback then. Tim writes to us, In episode 159, you briefly discussed Pipewire and support under Ubuntu and suggest that Pipewire may be added to Ubuntu 22.10. I just wanted to point out that if you do a clean install of Ubuntu 21.10, you already have much of the Pipewire infrastructure installed. On another machine, which was updated from Ubuntu 21.04, the Pipewire stuff does not appear to be installed, so I suspect it is only installed when it is a fresh Ubuntu install of 21.10, not when it is an upgrade from an earlier version. When I was editing that episode, I realized that we hadn't made it clear that we were talking about by default, because you can get a lot of the Pipewire stuff going in Ubuntu, in the more recent versions at least, but it was about what is default, and it's not default, is it? Not yet. But that's interesting about the fresh install versus update thing, and probably why it's not going to be default in the LTS 22 or 4, but I would imagine you probably will be able to get it all up and running with a bit of effort. All right, Richard wrote... The benefits of hard links mentioned by Joe are good, and they make life easier when storing several backups of the same set of files. However, I think one important fact was forgotten. If one file is changed, then all of the hard-linked files are changed. So if you use hard links and you tinker with your backups, for example, you just want to try something on an unimportant backup of many, then you will effectively manipulate all hard-linked versions of this specific file. Conclusion, don't tinker with backups. 
tinkering with your backups. You know that gif of the nun from Blues Brothers where she's beating the two of them when they're stuck in the chairs and they fall down the staircase. <laughs> That's what should happen to people who mess with the backups. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that drawback. But yeah, thanks for pointing that out, Richard. That I will definitely keep that in mind and not fuck with my backups. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. Entroware sells computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They've got a range of desktops, laptops, and servers, and most parts are configurable, so you can pick the CPU, RAM, and storage that's right for you. If you can't find exactly what you want, then do contact them, and they'll work with you on a bespoke solution that's perfect for your needs. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of their machines, there's a little drop-down at checkout, and you can select late-night Linux so they'll know that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Linux Mint 20.3 was released recently. Now, we don't talk about Linux Mint very often on this show because the question that's always in my mind is why, though? Why would you use Linux Mint and not just Ubuntu? And so I thought it would be interesting if we explored that question. So I asked you all to give it a go with that in mind of why would someone use Linux Mint when Ubuntu exists? I genuinely don't use non-KDE distributions, which you may have already picked up on. Uh, So I gave it a go with a fairly open mind because I didn't really have much to compare it to. And I've got to say, I did like that wizard that it boots up with. The hints, you're able to pick a dark mode. It's got this thing where you can uh, use time shift, which you've never seen before, to do a snapshot. And that can either use rsync or butterfs which i thought was quite cool the updates it runs in that startup wizard shows you where the software stuff is and it allows you configure firewall right from the bat and it's yeah it's fair enough it's g ufw whatever but that's fine does the job it lets you pick a local mirror as well which is handy yeah i thought it was quite weird although i was a bit confused by the way that screen was laid out but maybe it was just it did hadn't picked up something i mean in fairness i was running in a vm like usual but still did pretty well i mean i could expand it to the right resolutions and like usual though it didn't do the auto resize which i've only ever seen garuda do properly which is funny but um yeah no i mean i thought it was a nice distro i, I mean once it's not kde they all look the same to me as in they are a gtk based distro but i did like those touches that wizard was pretty cool and maybe ubuntu has that i don't know but uh, i just thought the way they did that was good and cinnamon the desktop it's quite nice, isn't it? It's quite sensibly laid out. Yeah, it's it's not bad. And oh, the hypnotics. I, I was actually impressed by that because uh, <laughs> you can get all the free TV channels in various countries that it manages to work with. I mean, it didn't stunningly work because you don't get all of them. Depends what's free to air. But uh, I thought that was quite nice. Yeah, that IPTV application. Yeah, I tried that out and it was interesting. I, I ended up watching about half of a film on there. <laughs> I was like, I'll just check it out. And then it was some 90s film about uh, some detective or something and it was because uh, i obviously went for the the 90s channel the 90s movie channel because not a lot of stuff seemed to work in it and it was a bit of buffering and stuff but uh it was good fun so as a kde user if i said to you right kde doesn't exist anymore you've got to use cinnamon do you think you could ah uh, yeah i could get by i'm sure um like uh, there there is a good few settings the control the configuration setup was all right and the search worked on it too, which is quite handy because I hadn't a clue. I didn't see resolution. I couldn't find that easily. And then, yeah, I found it with a quick search and the thing and it showed up display. 
So, yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's not too bad. I would struggle to pick which one I would use if I wasn't using KDE, though, because it's so hard to keep up there with the best, you know? So, Will, you are using Zubuntu now, like me, because you're a very sensible person. (laughs) You have used GNOME before, and you were in charge of the Ubuntu desktop before, so you're probably the best qualified to talk about this. What do you think, if anything, is the reason to use Mint over Ubuntu? I think Mint did very well to capitalize on the general move of of mindset towards Linux a few years ago, uh, you know, maybe 10 years ago. While a lot of projects were trying to be technically superior, Mint focused on making it look like Windows or making that transition from Windows to Linux easy. And I think that that was a stroke of genius to cut through a lot of the techno babble and like righteous arguments that people were having about why something was better and to just say you know what it doesn't matter about any of that what matters is that people can pick this thing up and use it without having to learn a new thing without being scared off by all of this new terminology and new ways of working and just made it just so easy to pick up that people started using it, fell in love with it, and have stayed with it ever since. And it's gone through quite a a lot of uh, UI changes over the years, but they've always kept that very straightforward, classic Windows XP style uh, layout, you know, start button, bottom left, window icons where they should be, and none of this sort of clever hidden nonsense that a lot of, um, well you could argue Unity 7 did, Unity 8 did, GNOME Desktop certainly does. So I think that that's their real strength, is that it's it's easy to pick up and use because it is familiar and it, and, and it doesn't try to be different. And the upshot of this seems to be that they have a very passionate, engaged community. You look at their community now, and it is a bit like the Ubuntu community was in the early days. Lots of people talking, helping each other out, and just being involved and telling other people about their operating system. And I think that this is demonstrated very clearly when you look at the donations page on the, the Mint website. They're there published for everyone to see. They regularly clear 10 grand a month in donations. Um, I worked at well, back of a, an envelope calculations was something like $25 per year user per month but for everybody who donates they typically donate $25 which is extraordinary and we're talking earlier on about how do these open source projects get some money well mint seem to be doing it very well so there must be something to learn from that so yeah so i think they have been consistently easy to use they've stayed uncluttered and they've managed to keep out of a lot of the the righteous arguments that have dragged so many other projects to their doom yeah, I couldn't tell you what Clem looks like or sounds like because he just he doesn't engage, does he? He just plugs away doing his own thing with his team and they just keep putting the releases out and people keep using them. I think you're right there, yeah. What about you, Graham? You're a diehard KDE user. <laughs> well, I suppose I suppose I have become that, but I do use other desktops. And I, I think one of the things with Mint, I remember, I think it was the GNOME, two to GNOME three transition. And 
I've, I've used GNOME 2 at the time or used it to some extent because it actually felt really nice, GNOME. It, it felt like it was really making progress. It was almost finished, wasn't it? And then they decided to throw it all out. Yeah, and that was it was like one of those KD2 moments or KD3 moments. It, that's how I think <laughs> I probably wrote about it at the time. And so Mint coming along with Cinnamon was like, a huge story and it was great to see even from the very beginning it coming out i think it was kd in the very beginning but when cinnamon became um really stable it was great to see that old aesthetic of the gnome one gnome two era being continued and then of course we have mate but it was really nicely done and i mean a lot of what i would say has already been said by will but i think it's probably if you don't like Ubuntu, Mint is the next best thing or the the, ne- the best thing because it's got all of those advantages. As we all said, the community's great and you can still be involved in the same way and still get many of the same advantages without kind of being involved in Ubuntu if that's not what you want. Also, things like dark mode work really well. The choice of software is really good. It's really, it doesn't, it doesn't try and change things too much. It's not too ambitious and it's still a great distribution. Well, I tried out the XSCE version and the Cinnamon version. There's also a Mate version that I didn't check out. And the XSCE one was fine. I used it for a day, and honestly, it was just fine. So XFCE, then, essentially, is what you're saying? Well, yeah, yeah. But then the Cinnamon version. Now, prior to using Mint, I thought, let me give Ubuntu Cinnamon a go, because there is a community remix, I think, hoping to become an official flavor perhaps one day. And that was fine. You know, it worked well. But then I tried mint cinnamon, and it was just better. I can't tell you why, but it just seemed more native. And and you can run cinnamon on Arch, you can run it on all sorts of distros, but running it on mint is where it belongs. That's what it's made for. And so surely you're going to have the best cinnamon experience on mint. And having tried the XFCE version, I would say that Zubuntu is probably a better experience possibly just because I'm so used to it. But I think that to answer the question of why you would want to use Mint rather than Ubuntu, the answer is Cinnamon. If you like Cinnamon, use Mint would be my advice. And we're in this great position of having so much choice now. XFCE, Mate, Cinnamon, Budgie. You've got the one that's on Ubuntu chilling. You've got so many desktops based on that traditional paradigm that you can really just choose whichever one fits you perfectly. And for me, that is XFCE. Uh, I, I didn't even mention Plasma. That can be a very traditional desktop if you want it to be as well. But I think if you try Cinnamon and really like it, then there is a reason to use Mint over Ubuntu, just installing Cinnamon on top of it or using the Cinnamon remix of it. And also the stuff you said, Will, about the, the various software that is available in the snapshots. Snapshots aren't particularly compelling to me because none of my data is on my root partition anyway. And with proper backups, I can get my Ubuntu system up and running on a new laptop or whatever, new partition in less than an hour. So uh, snapshots on an LTS-based distro as well just don't seem particularly useful to me. Maybe if you're trying out loads of new stuff all the time, it could be, but isn't that what VMs are for? Actually, it was Phelan that said about the restores. Oh, well, you all sound the same to me. Ah. I don't know. I, th- I think that's a handy feature because I think if, you know, we have to think of people who are just using a standard system at home. And if you look at the likes of MacOS, they have their 
time thing, which I can't remember what it's called. Time machine. There you go. Well, it does the same thing. I mean, you want, you know, we don't all have NASs and, you know, we're using ZFS and mm. separate partitions for separate uh, drives and stuff. You know, it's, I think it's not a bad system because you want someone to be able to just go, look, just this thing will pop up at the start of the OS, click yes, and just let it do it in the background. Then if your computer hoses itself, I can come along and fix it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think for a certain type of user, for me, it's not particularly useful, but I could see it definitely being useful for a lot of people. So all in all, then, I think there are compelling reasons to use Mint, just like any other distro, really. And that is the the beauty of Linux and also the curse of it. There's just so much choice. Right, well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll probably be talking about what's going on in the news, maybe even some discoveries, finds of the Fortnite discoveries. But uh, we'll have to see. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Graham. I've been Phelan. And I've been Will. See you later.